What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. He's Levin Black. And Levin, we have a very special guest today. A real, I'm tempted to call him a media mogul, really, from the SF Niners. Brad Graham is here. What's up, Brad? What's up, Rob? What's up, Levin? I appreciate you guys having me. Did you like the way I skipped over Levin there without even letting him talk? <laughs> I know, man. He went it's good. Right. I, I never say anything in an intro anyways. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, but I, I'm really appreciative of you guys bringing me on, man. I, I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a while, so it's cool that we get to connect. Oh, really? What did you want to uh, talk to us about? Oh, you know, quarterback stuff, every, you know, <laughs> everything that every, all the kids are talking about these days. Well, I'm grateful that you are on with us today because you got a rough draw in the 49ers media madness bracket. <laughs> you had to go up against Matt Mayoko almost out of the gate. First, you had to beat John Chapman, and then your reward for that was Mayoko. Have you forgiven us for that? No, I have not, but <laughs> I, I'm hope I'm hopeful for better seating next year, but it really would have been a gauntlet because then even, let's say, by some miracle, I did advance. I'm going up against Grant Cohn. Like, come on, man. You, you really didn't want me in the finals. I, I could feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, next year... You should last longer because the bracket will be a lot bigger anyways, regardless. Next year's going to be. We're going to expand it because, yeah, there were some big names left off. And it's like, well, who do we cut? That's the problem. It's like, so Rob was like, we're not cutting anybody. We'll just add. "Eh, Well, what's really cool about that is like you really get the sense of like, man, there are so many people covering the San Francisco 49ers, man. And it's like you can really go to any corner of the Internet to find exactly what you're looking for. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, I was excited. Like when you actually put it together, you could kind of see, you know, because I feel like Levin and I are generally more, uh, let's call it skeptical of things (laughs) the 49ers do and say. Um, But that is definitely not the only approach. There's a wide variety of approaches. And then you when you look at everybody kind of assembled together in this bracket, you really get a sense of that. What would you say your approach is when covering this team? Oh, I'm 100% optimistic, not even close like that. That's and it's also been kind of a a designed kind of attack because obviously you look around the landscape and there are a lot of people being, you know, and rightfully so critical of moves and teams. And I'm a former player, so I really try to attack this coverage as if like, hey, how would I want to be covered? And, you know, there, there's some back and forth that goes along with that because you have to stay objective and be able to tell it like it is and all that type of stuff. So there, there's definitely a fine line that I walk, but I am admittedly definitely on the much more optimistic side of kind of covering the team. See, I, I think I fall in line with traditional journalists. Like that was really hammered into me in college and that kind of took hold of me where I try to keep myself separate from what I'm covering. You know, I try not to get emotion involved at all. You just try to be an objective observer and you say exactly what it is, whether it's good or bad. It just happens that what most people read and want to, you know, see is people can tell when it's good. People can't necessarily tell when it's mediocre or bad or, or what is happening in terms of the personal side of decisions that are being made. And I give my best opinion on that, whether it's good or bad. And I think that's where I fall, which tends to come off, like Rob says, as more of a skeptical person. But I'm not like it's a weird thing. We've talked about it, Rob. Like, I don't feel inside like I'm a negative person. 
but I feel like a lot of people kind of take it that way because I'm willing to say, yeah, this guy's not doing well or that person has a dumb decision or, or something like that. So it's, it's a weird because I don't feel that way inside. You don't feel like you're a jerk, but in fact you are. <laughs> well, when I'm talking to you, I know I'm a jerk because <laughs> it's fun to mess with you. <laughs> it's working. Um, you said something interesting, Brad. You cover the team the way you would want to be covered. If you were, let's say, let me just pick a random name out of a hat. Oh, I don't know. Trey Lance, for <laughs> example. <you> How <laughs> would you, you feel? Uh, I just, you know, it just came to me. How would you feel right now reading the coverage of the 49ers from the league meetings, from everything they've said about the quarterback position? I mean, it is is a world. I would have to imagine for a young, young man like Trey Lance, it would be a whirlwind. Uh, you know, with everything that's being discussed, obviously we already know you're playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. It is the, one of the most polarizing positions in the entire NFL, regardless of what your name is. And you step into that position with the capital given up to go get you the expectations and a, a ravenous fan base. I mean, we, I think the San Francisco 49ers, you can make the argument has one of the most passionate fan bases in all of sports and whether how you want to interpret what that means is but at the end of the day it's like we want the 49er fans want to see results they want to see wins and they want to see production at the end of the day and when you have a player with a lot of expectations that haven't really been able to reach those goals or ultimate uh, end results based on whatever circumstances should be a lot of conversation about it. And going back to the owners meeting, obviously we were looking at Trey Lance as the franchise quarterback as of last year. And that's what we were told. And that's the way we operated. But now it feels like, okay, now it feels like Brock is again, the leader in the clubhouse, as John Lynch said, to be quarterback one next year off a UCL severe injury and having surgery so if i'm trey lance man i i'm not on social media uh i'm trying to just focus on my day-to-day -day, what i can control and really trying to improve day in and day out see my question that i'm starting to wonder about is at what point does he let the frustration show at what point does he say something you know if he goes into this offseason and say he's truly a 50 50 split with sam darnold right off the bat and they're giving you know sam darnold off the street a one-year deal full 50 50 percent reps does he go into a press conference after practice and you know when he gets asked about splitting reps does he say well i do feel a little frustrated by that because they say that i will be better with more reps and that that's all i need is more reps yet they are taking half of them from me. Like, at what point will he kind of speak out and try to push his will? I mean, one thing that I've noticed from watching Trey Lance interact with the media is he's very professional, and I wouldn't imagine he would break that just due to frustration because I would imagine he's been frustrated all throughout. I mean, going back through the Jimmy Garoppolo situation as a rookie, Jimmy Garoppolo situation part two last year, <laughs> like – I would imagine he's he, there's been a little frustration probably there. And I think one of the things that you can commend Trey Lance for is he seems very mature for his age. And 
you know, the weight of the world on his shoulders, at least from a football standpoint, uh, he's been able to handle it pretty well in regards to media training and discussions and things like that. I feel like that would maintain. I feel like even if inside he's like, man, this sucks. Get me out of here. Like I'm over this. I still feel like he's going to come out and show, Hey, I'm a team first guy. I'm about winning and, you know, kind of toe the company line. So that's how I would imagine it to be. But if at one point that does crack, it, it wouldn't surprise me because he's been through a lot in his young career so far. He's been through the ringer. I mean, he was all set to get the job in 2021. And then they bring back the incumbent less than two weeks before the year starts. Man, like, yeah, he has been through it. Um, you said that you are generally more positive, and that's perfect because I can't be more negative about the acquisition <laughs> of Sam Darnold. Please tell me what Kyle Shanahan sees in this guy because I see 56 games with 90 combined interceptions and fumbles. What am I missing? This is such an interesting conversation for me personally because I was I, I'm big into pre-draft evaluation and I got to watch Sam Darnold live versus Cal. I got to see like the wow throws and I saw the really bad processing errors. And so for me, heading into the draft with Sam Darnold, I called him a bust. I was like, I don't think this guy's any good. I think from a talent perspective, he's actually really good. But I am big on intangibles for quarterbacks. So like I will I will I will grade someone higher who has a better processor, who has those leadership qualities, um, because as a player, as a former offensive lineman, man, that is important. It is important to have a leader out there when you're going through these battles. And, you know, sometimes that can elevate the play of everyone else when things aren't going your way and you have a guy who's steady. But with Sam Darnold, I didn't feel like he ever had that. But he had the talent. And the, the weird thing is like, and it's well documented that the Shanahan's have liked Sam Darnold pre-draft and they've been outspoken with what they like about Sam Darnold. Go back to 2021 when it was clear that the Jimmy Garoppolo era was felt like it was coming to an end. All the rumors about Sam Darnold potentially being traded to the San Francisco 40. I was screaming from the rooftop, like, absolutely not. No way. Please do not put Sam Darnold on the San Francisco 49ers. But it's fascinating how time changes a little bit because you have Trey Lance, we saw what Brock Purdy did last year, and we're kind of looking for that quarterback three filler guy. And that w brought me back to uh, to uh, Sam Darnold. And I was like, you know what? I don't mind the idea of Sam Darnold coming in to be, quote unquote, quarterback three. Now, obviously, we've heard some different things pre uh, post owners meeting about them splitting reps and whatnot, but I, I came around to the idea of Sam Darnold being not a starter, but someone who could at minimum be on the team and develop maybe further. He's still 25 years old. He has that opportunity. And I haven't, man, I, I'm like, I got to watch. I got to watch Sam Darnold. So last night I went into the tape. First game I pick up is versus the Bucks. And I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was, I came away 
pleasantly surprised with some of the play that now he still is making some of those processing errors. I would say there's four to five plays on tape where you're like, I don't, you don't really want to do that, but you see that, like that talent. And I think that is what Kyle Shanahan is drawn to. He, you look at him and I'm like, man, I get like, I kind of get Brock Purdy vibes, but in the sense of, He's he has a little bit stronger of an arm. He can really rip that ball when he when he wants to put it somewhere, he can put it there and he can get it there in a hurry. It's just I think the decision making from going to A to B is where he struggled. And I think Kyle believes that he can connect that. I feel like he sees the talent and he thinks within his scheme and how quarterback friendly it is he can get the most out of Sam Darnold. So that's kind of my, you know, long-winded answer of like why I think Shanahan and Darnold actually <laughs> might be a good fit for each other, which you asked, you would ask me that two years ago, I would have yelled at you. Say <laughs> so that that's kind of where I fell when he signed. Rob and I had a, you know, a little disagreement with that. I'm fine with Sam Darnold being brought in. He was one of the guys at the top of my list for being – that vet because I thought you had to bring in a vet because of Trey Lance's injury history and the fact that Purdy has no you know who knows what he's going to be whether he can get back or not so I was fine when he was brought in where I draw the line is him getting reps over Trey Lance like Darnold had his chance to develop give Trey Lance his full chance to develop and that brings me to the larger point of how does Trey Lance ever earn the job because that's what people are saying like well if he's the real deal he earns the you know he's going to beat them out anyways how does he beat them out if purdy is ready to go week one because shanahan has shown practice will not get you this job it can cost you the job but it will not get you this job <laughs> and for that i will point to just last year what happened from all the reports that are coming out conveniently now purdy was easily the best quarterback in training camp yet he was third string he didn't even get the backup gig. They felt like bringing back Jimmy G, even though Purdy was apparently looking like, you know, a good starter in practice. So how would Trey Lance earn the job if Purdy was third string and only got a chance because of the train wreck that happened in front of him for two people? As someone who was at the majority of training camp practices, I even went to Egan, Minnesota to to cover the joint practices. Uh, honestly, I wasn't looking out for Brock. So whenever it came time to third, the third string quarterback, my eyes went elsewhere, but there's still, there wasn't really anything at that time that was like, Ooh, maybe I should be paying attention to Brock Purdy. Uh, I mean, he, I feel like it was just pretty average and, uh, I was seeing Nate Sudfeld make, so I didn't really see anything from training camp in that regard, but how Trey Lance wins the job ultimately to be quarterback one through this muddy situation, that's a great question. I feel like that's the he million needs games. dollar question. I feel like he, he needs, can't do it without games, right? He needs reps. Yeah, he needs reps. And like even going back to last year, you still see like the potential that Trey Lance has. I would say going back and I even went through some of my old training camp notes, it was consistency. Just being able to do the same thing consistently was where Trey Lance was having his issues. And what is the best way to cure consistency issues is getting more reps. Right. So, <laughs> right. So 
the same the same thing applies since when he was drafted and they got him in the building and they started retooling his mechanics and like seeing how he fit the scheme he needs reps he needs reps he needs reps he needs reps he needs game reps but now we're at a point where it's like it feels like the ball is moving and i don't know what it's going to take to push trey up into that week one starting role i mean it it feels like he has the the world is against trey lance right now including kind of his own organization and i'm not saying like they are doing this on purpose or anything of course they have their own evaluations they have the guy in the building they know better right now better than anyone that i would assume but it is fascinating to see because the path towards him being quarterback one it feels like it is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and eventually that path could run out and it's it's just a it's a crazy crazy thing to cover these last couple years jamarcus russell got 25 starts he's like the worst quarterback we've ever seen he got 25 starts before somebody decided okay we've seen enough from you trey lance got four finished three and one was in a monsoon yes i i just don't know how we went from in August of 2021, Matt Mayoko saying Trey Lance looks like the best rookie quarterback I've ever seen. And this is Matt Mayoko, who's been covering football since they created the forward pass. Yep. And now he's splitting reps with Sam Darnold, a man who in 56 games has largely been terrible. Yeah. In four starts that, that that's the shift that we have made. That seems impossible to me. It, it really is a, a crazy scenario and the way it's evolving because it feels like it's evolving the wrong direction for Trey Lance. Like you, you would assume that at this stage in the game, he even after an injury and especially this particular circumstance that he would be at least given and he's going to be given the opportunity. Kyle Shanahan said he has the opportunity to regain that quarterback one spot. But again, we're talking about how does he regain that that quarterback one spot? Is anything he does in practice going to trump what Brock Purdy did in that eight game winning streak that he had, winning two playoff games? Like that's going to be tough. Like can practice elevate him past that? And then if Sam Darnold comes in and turns into this practice all star, then <laughs> what is what does that mean for Trey? Like you know, moving forward, like how do they stack that? And it's just a really it's just a really interesting situation because I remember being also being at training camp his rookie season. I would say him and Jimmy Garoppolo were like on par with each other. And so my whole thing was like, man, if you got a rookie playing at the same level or on par with a veteran, start the rookie, start him day one and Mm -hmm. get those reps in the holster now because what do we always talk about with these developmental quarterbacks oh look at josh allen josh allen wasn't who he is now in year one or even year two it took until year three of kind of growing through that to be able to to really understand who he is it starting to feel like trey might not get that opportunity with the 49ers and that puts us in a very interesting spot so I, w- I want to get your take on this and whether or not you think that this may be playing a role at all. I do wonder if Kyle Shanahan almost has like a little PTSD when it comes to this situation. 
because if you look at the parallels, it's pretty similar to RG3 and Kirk Cousins. Now, obviously, Trey Lance didn't have the season that RG3 did, but mm-hmm. we know where Kyle Shanahan fell on that. Yeah. He wanted Kirk. He wanted the you know, underdrafted guy, the guy that came up, and he's more of a traditional quarterback, and he just kind of does what he's told. You know, he, Kirk Cousins not flashy. He's not going to have these crazy wild plays. It's a human sweater vest. And I do wonder if that that's affecting Kyle Shanahan here, you know, whether or not he's looking at it and going, hey, I didn't get to go with Kirk because I was overruled. Now I'm the head coach. I'm going with Kirk, which would be Purdy in this situation. And so he sees Lance as almost like this, you know, guy on the side that he doesn't need to concern himself with. It's all about getting Purdy back. I mean, obviously... Purdy came in and played at a level that was probably better than Jimmy Garoppolo over his entire tenure with the San Francisco 49ers. So I could see him definitely leaning towards wanting to get that back because, I mean, honestly, in all the games that I studied with Purdy, we didn't see a 49ers offense operate like that. I'm not sure ever since Kyle Shanahan has been with the 49ers since 2017, but in regards to the correlation of his time in Washington, the RG3 Kirk Cousins thing, that could be some PTSD that's sticking around because obviously it was well reported that, uh, you know, Kyle and the entire coaching staff were kind of blindsided by the trade up to go get RG3. They weren't really wanting RG3. That's why they drafted Kirk in the th- the third round, I believe it was. Um, I don't know if that's the case here. From all everything that I've heard, you know, we we've heard the stories. Kyle Shanahan was flying from Justin Fields' pro day to Trey Lance's, <laughs> drawn up plays on a napkin. Yeah. You know, like it was destined in the stars, like that this was Kyle's guy. So we don't know that. Like it's been reported from Washington, we don't know if there's something else going on, but. It, it it just there are parallels and I definitely see them. But what I think is just just fascinating is Kyle's what feels like reluct reluct a little bit of reluctance to just develop the kid, if that makes sense. Right. Got to develop. He needs reps. But if you throw an incompletion and Sam Darnold completes that same pass in practice, well, we're going to go with Sam. Watch like. <laughs> It's infuriating to me. I need to move off the quarterbacks. Um, because <laughs> uh, the stroke is coming. I can just feel oh, it's man. bubbling you, up. You guys there. have quarterback fatigue yet? You having a, a Wednesday show with Grant probably does not help you in that regard because he probably just amps you up even more. Well, it's very therapeutic. I'll say that. It's, uh, I get some stress out, but the more we talk, the more we talk about it, the less sense it makes to me. But I want to move to the offensive line, your wheelhouse, Brad. I thought going into the season, I was very worried about the interior of the offensive line, specifically Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford. Watching them for a year, I thought they played very well. I thought the 49ers, not lucked out, but to their credit, picked two very good players. Yet I look at the PFF grades for Aaron Banks, and he's at 62.7, and Spencer Burford is at 49.6. To my eyes, they weren't that bad. Can you help me reconcile those two things? Yeah, I wish I knew what went into those PFF grades for offensive line, but I always take PFF grades for offensive line with a big-time grain of salt just because I have no idea what they're measuring against. Do they know the responsibilities? Do they know the roles within protections? Do they know? like So I just – 
so I don't take the the grades as you know the holy grail. But in regards to looking at the tape, I think Aaron Banks had a really good season, considering that a big part of the fan base had already labeled him as a bust. Uh, again, a former second round <laughs> second round pick, <laughs> <I see laughs> both hands going up. <laughs> but to to both of your guys' credit, like I was concerned about Aaron Banks throughout training camp. I was like, oh, I. I I saw I saw it on tape at Notre Dame. I didn't see it translate and or at least hadn't seen it translate yet. But to Aaron Banks credit, when he got into the game, man, he, he just a flip switched. Uh, his pass protection is is pretty phenomenal for where he's at. And I think he can improve and get even better. I think the biggest part of his game where he needs to improve is getting to second level. It was something that showed up really early on against the bears and rightfully so he, he runs a little high. He's got to get the pad level down, keep a wide base, make sure he's, he's getting that fit before like getting all crazy, but that you can improve that, that that's, that's technique. You can improve that technique. So baseline Aaron Banks was pretty pretty darn good I was pretty pleased with that after being a little bit worried through training camp and then you flip over to the other side with Spencer Burford now Spencer Burford has the traits of a guy who could be a top 10 guard in this league and when you look at his size the body the length the arms like he he could be he kind of got that Trent William vibes at at guard like and an athletic specimen playing the position where I see Spencer Burford needing to improve his game is the small details of playing the position. Correct foot, uh, basically correct uh, steps in the run game. Like you have very specific detailed steps per what type of run. Sometimes he would take the wrong step and it would put him out of position. He'd lose leverage and would lose the rep. Uh, so, But that's, again, it's correctable. So he has the things that you can't teach. And once you get him more experience, more, more reps, uh, keyword of the of the of the show today. Um, once you get him those more reps, I think he will continue to improve. Um, he did have some issues in pass protection. His, again, his biggest things were mental lapses. It wasn't physical lapses. It was it was processing at the line of scrimmage, uh, passing off stunts, things like that. So there is room for Burford to improve, but he has the baseline traits and tools to be able to become a really good guard. He's just got to, hey, he's a rookie, uh, fourth rounder. I'm, I'm not going to hold it against him. Now we're going to see if he can take the jump in year two. If he doesn't, then I'll have a couple more questions. My question is to the tackle spot. We haven't gotten to see him a whole lot. I think he just has five starts in his career. But for McKivitz, he's brought back, as of now, he's penciled in as the starter. From what you've seen, do you believe that he can truly lock that down and be a, a quality starter or should they bring in somebody to compete just in case, because from what you've seen so far, you're not sure that he's going to be capable. I mean, I've seen guys like Tom Compton have success on this offensive line. I've seen guys like Justin school have to spot start, uh, you know, and win games back in 2019. We've seen the 49ers shuffle in your Ben Garland's and your Mike Persons and kind of your no-name offensive lineman. Colton McKivitz kind of fits that kind of mold of like, uh, you know, a hard worker, grinder type of offensive lineman who's not – he doesn't have immense athletic traits 
To me, he profiles more as a guard, but he has the versatility to be able to kick out to right tackle or left tackle. I mean, you go back to, what was it, 2021 when the San Francisco 49ers had to beat the Rams uh, on the road uh, to get into the playoffs, and he had to start for Trent Williams, and I don't think he gave up a sack against uh, two pretty quality edge rushers, uh, Leonard Floyd and Von Miller at the time. So he he can do it. I, I think he can do it, and I feel confident that he can – step in and start what the question becomes can he do it consistently can he be able to go and game in game out multiple edge rushers whether power rushers speed rushers be able to handle the stunts and the blitzes that they throw at him can he withstand a week in week out type of starting a you know having that opportunity i think he can but how i think the 49ers need to handle this position is I still think they need a draft. I still think, you know, you look at the free agent pool. I knew at least my, my evaluation was once Mike McGlinchey left in free agency, there wasn't going to be anyone to come in to upgrade him or even really be, be at the same level as him. And I know Mike McGlinchey gets a lot of flack and for some of the plays there that he, he does have some bad plays, but the, the body of work is pretty darn good and speaks to why he got 87 and a half million. But I don't think there's anyone on the open market that could have met that level of play or exceeded it. So Colton McKivitz feels like a good fit for now, but I do think the 49ers should still turn to the draft, potentially have to trade up and target a guy to either at minimum compete or to just, you know, win the job or just be the swing tackle um, and potentially develop into the starter of the future. McKivitz is signed through 2024. So uh, I, I have to, to, again, to wrap up the question in the, my long winded way is <laughs> I do think he can do it from what I've seen, but I still need to see it consistently and they can get better at that position. I'm fascinated to see how or if the 49ers use some of the guys they took on the offensive line last year that didn't really have a role. Nick Zakal, Jason Poe is a guy that like, I really hope that they just do something cool with Jason Poe because I like him and I'm still fascinated by that video of him, like working out as a fullback. Do you think either one of those guys will find their way on the roster this year? I think I think Nick Sakel, I think they like him internally, and I think he does profile to kind of be one of those swing offensive linemen who could play guard, play center, and even play tackle in a pinch. So I, I think Zakel has a a shot to make it. Now, I do think the San Francisco 49ers would not only be uh smart to go draft a offensive tackle, um, early in the draft, but also go get another utility tool like your next Daniel Brunskill. Uh, Nick Saldaveri out of Old Dominion is a guy that I like that could fit that role of playing all positions across the offensive line. But as we know, I do think John Feliciano is going to make this roster as kind of your swing interior offensive lineman this year. So that's one spot. They're really, they, they don't, you know, what they, they carry eight offensive linemen. Um, 
during the regular season. So there aren't a lot of spots available. I, I think Poe has a lot of upside. Uh, we were talking about Poe's potentially like, should Poe start over Aaron Banks? Like we were having, I was having those conversations on my channel. Um, going through training camp because he was having a really good training camp. And I was like, man, at minimum, it feels like Poe's going to make the roster. Uh, they were able to bring him back on the practice squad. It'll be fascinating to see what ultimately happens. I do think Zakel and Poe will have a legitimate shot, but I, I, I hope the 49ers bring as much offensive line talent as possible into camp and just have a full-blown competition and may the best man win. To change gears here. I want a Boza contract pr prediction. What do you think he gets? Oh, man. I think he's going to be the uh, – I think we would probably all agree. I think he's going to be the highest paid defender in the history of football. Um, I can't speak to what that guy currently is getting paid right now, but I would imagine we see a, what, five-year contract – probably in the range of 32 to 35 million dollars a year uh he's getting quarterback money and it's it's gonna it's gonna be wild to see the numbers because john lynch hasn't been shy about like hey we're gonna re-sign nick bosa uh typically you don't hear general managers talk about guys like that who haven't been signed yet but it feels like nick bosa is basically gonna write his contract extension feels like who gets more money him or lamar because <laughs> Lamar might end up with a one-year deal I know it's getting rocky out there for Lamar and those <laughs> those quarterbacks positions are they're not becoming more available they're they're getting closed especially with the draft coming up it, whew, it might be Bosa which that's is what I think I think at this point Lamar is going one maybe two years and he's yeah he's not getting a long-term deal yeah the 49ers not being in on Lamar Jackson, by the way, makes no sense. None whatsoever. Like them thinking. Would you trade Trey Lance for Lamar Jackson? 100%. Oh, yeah. I would trade Nick Bosa for Lamar Jackson. Ooh, that's spicy. I don't know. I see. <laughs> I, I love me. I love me some some trenches. So I, I hold I hold Bosa in the highest regard. Uh, it would it would it would take a lot for me to trade bosa for jackson that's just again my take see my my thinking of like everybody goes you can't get lamar he's gonna be too expensive Bosa's gonna be nearly as expensive it's not <laughs> like it's a huge difference and well. i'm taking the top 10 quarterback who's won an mvp who's still in his 20s over any defensive edge in the history of the game it doesn't matter it's a quarterback yeah no i i definitely hear you quarterback position is the most important position in football you could probably make the argument that the second is edge um mm -hmm. but it, it's 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 a tough conversation I, I i'm big on having bosa it would be fascinating to have lamar jackson and kyle shanahan scheme oh. because it feels like they would be absolutely unstoppable mm -hmm. um especially you know the way kyle's trying to get you know trey lance to run uh and all that type of stuff you plug in and with Lamar christian Jackson. mccaffrey and christian mccaffrey's ability to throw the ball like we saw the gimmicks <laughs> those two could do Whew. we have no idea who would be the quarterback <laughs> in that offense is it yeah i mean even we've even seen debo throw a couple passes like kyle would get crazy uh yeah but i i definitely understand the argument for sure let's go to another spot on the defense and that's safety Mm -hmm. Talano Hufanga came out of the gate last year like a man possessed. 
he made a ton of big plays in primetime games and he got a ton of love and he deserved every single bit of it. Yeah. I felt like as the year went on, we didn't see as many of those splash plays. People got more film on him. He got burned deep a few times. Where do you, I know he ended up first team all pro. Where do you put Hufanga and where do you think he can get better? I think Hufanga can get better in coverage still. I still think he, I think towards the latter part of the year, teams were starting to kind of understand like what he was keying on and they would start to take advantage of what he was keying on, like getting his eyes in the wrong spot Mm -hmm. and then attacking it. And he would kind of be like, okay, I made a mistake. I, I bet on this and I should be dropping back into coverage here or some of those those things. I do agree that Talanoa came out the gates on fire. And I think that's a big part of like getting the accolades is making a lot of noise early on in the season and getting your name out in front. But I do think it did kind of cool down towards the end of the year. Um, so I think Talanoa just continuing to stay disciplined. I, I think, you know, a lot is made of his athletic ability and maybe he could get faster or uh, some of those kinds of conversations. I still think as long as he's playing disciplined football and still utilizing his instincts, he can still be an all pro safety. I just think he'd be a little bit more balanced on, you know, some of the, the, the coverage busts that, that occur. Um, I think he can prove in that regard. And if he does, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers found a guy for years to come. So I still think there's plenty of room for Talanoa to continue to improve kind of on his back end coverage. The team obviously added Christian McCaffrey in the middle of the season. They've added Hargrave. They lost McGlinchey. Quarterback is what it's always been, a question mark. There's some potential there. It's not going to be – we know it won't be horrible, but we don't know what it will be. So my question is, is this the best 49ers roster – at this point in a year that there's been under Shanahan? I I definitely think you can make that 100%. I think you can make that argument. Um, I mean, what what was the next best team? Probably that 2019 team that went 13 and three, 10 minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. But who were their starting wide receivers? You had Emmanuel Sanders, uh, who's traded for that year. You had rookie Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, uh, laundry list of kind of, you know, your Trent Taylors and guys like that. Uh, Your running back room was like Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman. Um, and of course, Jimmy Garoppolo coming off a ACL injury. And I don't think Jimmy played all that well that year. I mean, he's he definitely like drove the ship to where it needed to be. But and he he did have four comeback wins that particular year. But I really think the reason that year was so successful is because they had D Ford, D Forrest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and a rookie Bosa and that defensive line. And they also had Richard Sherman. And for whatever reason, no one tried to throw his way. So <laughs> it was just Emmanuel Mosley or Akella Witherspoon on the opposite side taking all the heat. K1, you know, so I think talent-wise, though, like going across the board, I think you have to give it to this team. I mean, 100% offensively. This offense, yeah. I mean, you look at the offensive line, even Trent Williams, I love Joe Staley. Love, love, love Joe Staley. But when they got Trent Williams, they upgraded 
from one Hall of Fame tackle to another Hall of Fame tackle. Um, and I still think Trent is the best in the league. Uh, the offensive line is falling into shape. You look at Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel. You go to the defensive side, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw. Uh, Mooney Ward, his addition has been phenomenal. I still think uh, I think Diamond or Lenore played phenomenally well down the stretch. Uh, maybe they add more talent to the, the cornerback spot. But with Bosa, uh, Eric, and uh, Javon, they're, they're like three-fourths away from completing the circle and having that dominant defensive line. And again, Fred Warner in 2019 was becoming Fred Warner. Drake right. Greenlaw was a fifth-round fifth round rookie, I think, that season, and he wasn't even what he is now. So I think from a talent perspective, you've got to give it to this team. I mean, I think they're better than – that 2019 team, which is has been kind of the standard under the Kyle Shanahan era this at this point. And the guy that completes the infinity gauntlet for the 49ers defensive line would be Drake Jackson. If he could fulfill the potential that I think the 49ers saw in him when they drafted him in the second round last year. I think you mean Justin Houston. I'm sorry. <laughs> Levin is, TBD on Justin Houston. Yeah, Levin's got like the Shanahan voodoo doll out trying to get him to contact Justin Houston. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because at the end of the year, Kyle Shanahan was like flat out. Drake Jackson hit the rookie wall. He lost his power, I think was the exact phrase he used. I mean, he flat out told the world Drake Jackson was not in the shape he needed to be in down the stretch towards the end of the year. Do you think that Drake could be somebody that this team could depend on for more than, say, the five, four and a half, five sacks that Samson Ebukam was giving them every year? I absolutely think Drake Jackson could be that guy because when I, I, I remember going and scouting Drake Jackson after the San Francisco 49ers drafted him, I did a little pre-draft work, but not a lot. You could see the traits, but one of the first things that jumped off the tape was, man, this guy is raw. Like, you, I, I don't know if you guys ever hear the – uh, having a pass rush plan, it just felt like when he was going into uh, a pass rush or a, a trying to set up, a, there just really wasn't a plan to what he was doing. And he didn't have this full bag of just tricks and just this technical acumen that could match the traits, the physical traits that he had. So what I think where Drake Jackson is, least in his, his rookie year, you saw the glimpses of like, what his physical tools are, I think as he continues to add tools to his tool bag in regards to pass rushing moves and pass rushing plans, and he continues to put the work in on his body. I mean, we see how athletic he is. I mean, just him doing the flips and like all that stuff. I mean, all right, like, okay, that's not football, but still that that is a big man doing a big backflip. That's still pretty impressive. You, you, you get the sense of like what type of, of uh, physical tools he has. And so for me, I think uh, an entire offseason in an NFL program on an NFL diet, on an NFL, like they give him the meal plans. He's at the facility every day, I think. And again, more time with Chris Kosarek and just being able to build uh, the technical side of him. I think we could see a completely different player from year one to year two, he's one of my guys that I think could have the biggest jump out of anyone in that class, maybe on the team because of how raw he was as a rookie. And if he can obtain those tools, 
he could be a problem big time. I, I think he I think he really can. And I don't know if the 49ers are banking on that, but I think if he puts in the work, he can absolutely reach that potential. All right. So I'm gonna go personal here. As somebody that just shaved his beard and is Ooh. sporting a new look, would it be possible or is it totally off the table to bring you back on maybe closer to the start of the season and we figure out a bet where I will obviously have a bad punishment if I lose, but your punishment would be shaving the beard. <laughs> so my my children have never seen me without a That's beard. That's how I was. So I feel like they would be terrified. <laughs> yep. Uh, did that happen to you? Yeah, my daughter is like attached to my hip. Like she literally, I have to be holding her at all times. I came yeah. down the stairs, she screamed no and ran to my wife and refused to sit on my lap. <laughs> For like a day. <laughs> it's like, mommy, who's this man? Um, well, we, we had like a photo of my wife and I before I grew the beard because I wasn't able to grow it until three years yeah. ago. And the photo, when she was a baby, my wife used to ask her like, who's that? And she couldn't figure out that it was me. That's I didn't wild. have a beard in the photo. See, see, maybe if I was a bachelor out on the town and, and <laughs> I didn't have my the 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 faith of my children, depending on it, I would be open to a beard bet, but I think this luscious ginger beard might be, <laughs> might be off any betting, uh, kind of, uh, things out, but I am down to, to put some bets out there. If we, if we want to get, want to get interesting, he'd have to change the logo. Yeah. Look at, look at the logo. I was going to say, <laughs> the beard you could it. literally like shave it and then glue the beard onto that logo oh, there back there. So it's like, oh, there's there the original, go. the original back could add there. Some texture to it and really just make it pop. I like that. Would idea. you be open to dying the beard? Ooh, maybe. Scarlet, maybe. like 49er red. Maybe. <laughs> Already nah. close to that. Maybe, maybe. I, I think, I think about it. Definitely no shaving though. The sh shaving's off the table. We're, we're, shaving this, is off this the is, table. This is part the brand. We gotta we gotta keep it intact. <laughs> there you go. The the at or I should say the SF Niners brand. I don't know why that tripped me up so much, but it did. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us tonight. I'm grateful for the second half of the show because I needed like the positivity, and I feel like everything I got from you was. All their guys have the unteachable stuff. What they need to get better at is the stuff that you can learn, which I'm down with that. That's exactly what you want. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about a lot of the other positions on the team. Uh, I, I'm, but I am with you, man. I, I got some quarterback fatigue. Uh, it, 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 is it is interesting trying to make sense of what is really what and how everything's working together. But at the end of the day, I appreciate both of you guys uh, for bringing me on, and it, it's been a blast. And as far as the teachable stuff, you know, Rob, I, I, I'll go a little bit more. Obviously, some people can't be taught because you keep bringing me back and you have not learned yet that <laughs> you might have an easier life if you didn't deal with me. Might. I mean, I think, <laughs> look, this isn't a Trey Lance four-star situation. I damn well know my life would be easier.
without you. But yet every Thursday you keep showing up. So we keep doing shows. Yeah, I keep uh, showing up and you're not even paying me now. I know. That's the best part. I can't even get rid of you that way. Uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. If you're not already following uh, Brad and everything he's doing with DSF Niners and on Twitter at Graham underscore SFN, you should be. You will be a better and smarter fan. Brad, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Thank you, boys. Appreciate you having me.